Good morning. You guys have set a, a, a standard for me, a bar pretty high, uh, 13 verses. Does anybody in here need to get out before dinner? Uh, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm having lunch with Cliff and Darlene today. So I, yeah, we're going to have to uh, shoot through this, see if we can get through more than two verses here. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is really the power of love and what real love, I'm talking about real love, will drive us to do in our lives. Do you remember the first time that you realized that you loved somebody? Think about that for a second. I, I'm not talking about puppy love here where, you, you know, you have like a crush on somebody, you think they're cute and, oh boy, I, I can't think about anybody else all day except this one person, but then, you know, somebody better comes along, you know, a couple weeks later or maybe even a couple hours later. No, I'm talking about real selfless love. When was the first time you felt that? Because, see, if, if it's not selfless, it's, it's really not love. Because when you say that you love somebody, if you really mean it, when you say that you love somebody, you mean that you are putting their needs before your own. It means you're giving them a higher priority than you're giving yourself. Now, a story that most of you probably haven't heard yet, uh, but you inevitably would have heard it as you got to know Christina and me a little bit better, uh, is, is how we got engaged um, we actually, I, I proposed uh, less than 24 hours after meeting her, uh, if you can believe that. Uh, it's kind of a wild story. Um, I was living in Las Vegas. She was living in Colorado uh, after I graduated from college, and I was spending a, a semester at home before I went off to seminary in Dallas. And um, that was when I discovered the internet. Uh, that was when I found out about the internet, and I, I found this thing called uh, IRC. People could go in there and chat. And I found this Christian debate chat room. Uh, which was really cool. That was where atheists would go and Christians would go and they'd kind of, you know, go at it with one another. And so anyway, I, I, I uh, would spend some time in this, in this chat room and uh, Christina came into that chat room one night and she found out that I was getting ready to go to seminary. And uh, so she had a friend who, um, at her college in northern Colorado, she had a friend who was looking at the possibility of going to seminary someday. So she just had some questions that she wanted to ask me. Um, this is in uh, spring of, or fall, or no, winter of uh, 95, February of 95. Um, so anyway, we, we talked for a few minutes. I didn't see her for a couple more weeks. It was probably early March of, uh, of 95 the next time we talked. I ran into her again, and we just started talking and, and talking and talking, and we ended up spending a lot of time online uh, just chatting and get, getting to know one another, just basic conversation. And so after doing this for a few days... Um, not straight, by the way, we, we did sleep, but after uh, meeting in there for a few days, uh, I, I finally decided, okay, I've got to give this girl a call, because she seems really cool. So I, I, I called her, and we, we started running up these enormous phone bills. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, like, this was before rollover minutes and, uh, you know, unlimited plans and stuff like that. So we were running up these enormous phone bills, I'm talking like four or $500 a month. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we were talking for hours, and so I, I got to know her really well. And so finally I decided, you know what, I, I'm spending all this money on, on my phone bill and everything. I need to meet her because I, I think I'm falling in love with her. And so, uh, you know, I got a couple days off from work, and I decided, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going out there. So I went out there on a Monday, and uh, I figured, you know, the, the money that I'll spend for airfare and, and a hotel is going to be less than I'll spend, you know, per month on, uh, on a phone bill anyway. So, so I went out there, got there on a Monday. Um, 
hit it off pretty well. When I saw her, I thought, wow, this girl really is amazing. Uh, Tuesday, we went down to Denver, uh, which is about an hour, hour and a half away from where she was going to college, uh, for me to meet her parents. And I'm, I'm sure that they were freaking out a little bit, you know, this, this guy online, um, coming to meet their daughter. And uh, anyway, things went really well. But as we were driving back that night, she was driving um, a Suzuki Samurai. Now, if you guys, for, for, for you older folk, and I'm talking about, you know, my generation too, um, you, you'll remember that those used to tip all the time. They were, they were top heavy. And if you even went around a, a turn too fast, they, they'd roll. And so we're, we're driving, I don't know, probably eight or nine o'clock at night. We're driving back up to northern Colorado and we hit a patch of black ice going 75 miles an hour. And so we're spinning, and we're spinning, and we're spinning. And I, you know, I couldn't even tell you how many times we spun. Uh, but the whole time that we were spinning, my attention was completely on her. I reached over, and I grabbed her hand to hold her hand to comfort her, which was a really stupid idea because she should have had both <laughs> hands on the steering wheel, right? But the fact is, I, I, when we stopped... We didn't go off the road. Uh, we, we thankfully didn't roll. I, I lived to tell the story. But the fact is that while that was all happening, I hadn't thought about myself once. And so the rest of the drive up to, up to her college, we were going to watch a movie. The rest of the drive, I'm thinking, I can't believe I didn't think of myself there. That was the first time I've ever, put, I've ever been put in a situation where I had to make a decision. Do I put somebody before myself? And I did. And it was her. So we got back to her dorm, and I proposed and serenaded her with It Had to Be You. That's still kind of our song. Uh, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's um, our story. That's the first time that I had consciously put somebody before myself. Now, the point of all this um, is, is to show you that love drives us, real love drives us to put others before ourselves. And one of the things that we're going to see as we look at this passage today is that that's what love drove Paul to do as well. We've seen how deeply he loved the followers of Jesus in Thessalonica. But what does that do to him? What, how does he act in light of that love? That's what we're going to see as we, as we pick it up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, um, where we, we start with, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And then let's go ahead and for just a moment, skip through verses 3 and 4 and go back down to, go, go down to verse 5. This is where he kind of completes his thought. He says, for, for this reason, when I, can, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. So this passage starts out with therefore. And something that we should remember when we're reading our Bibles is that when we see the word therefore, it's therefore a reason. Uh, It's to show that there's a cause and effect relationship between what he's saying and what he has just said. In this case, Paul has told us that um, in the previous verses, that the Thessalonians were his pride and joy. They were his crown of boasting before the Lord on Judgment Day, right? So what, what does that cause Paul to do? Well, he's desperate here. That's, what it, that's the first thing it does. It causes him to feel something. It causes him to feel anxiety. And you can sense his anxiety. You can feel his desperation as he writes this. Twice uh, in, in these three verses... He says something about being able to bear it no longer. 
So he's reached his boiling point. He's reached the end of his rope. He's worried about the Thessalonians. And at this point, we, we know that it's been a while since he's been with them. And he has absolutely no idea what's going on with them. Where do they stand with the Lord? How are they doing? He doesn't know. And he's just reached the point where he can bear it no longer. And, you know, I think as, as we're looking through this, uh, I'm not sure that we can completely relate to what he's going through because uh, when, when you're worried about a friend or somebody that you love, what do you do? You, you pick up the phone, right? Hey, hey, man, how you doing? Is everything going okay? You know, how's your walk with the Lord this week? Or can I pray for you in any way? You know, that, that's great, you know, that we have that ability to, to just reach out and, and connect with people. I mean, hey, it's the, the age of communication. It's great, right? But imagine, and hopefully this, this context will help you imagine what Paul's going through. Imagine that you have a son or a daughter or a friend or a brother or sister that's, that you know has been living over in Japan, the area that's been hit by the earthquake and the tsunami, and you have no idea how they're doing. Their electricity's been knocked out. It takes weeks, weeks to mail something, if the mail service is even functional. You have no way of finding out how they're doing. You can't just pick up the phone and call them because they don't have electricity. You can't find out. You just have to bear it and, and wonder. I actually have a listener who was over there uh, when all of that went on. She was right in the midst of everything that was going on. And she spent 24 hours uh, trying to get home stuck in traffic without a cell phone. And when she finally got home, 24 hours later, she called her parents, who were just beside themselves, if you can imagine what they would be going through, what her parents would be going through. Her parents were in China, and they were so emotionally distraught, they were at the point where they couldn't bear it any longer. And they said, if you don't come home right now, we have to come and get you. That's where Paul is as he's writing this. That's where he is. He's, he's distraught. He's comfortless. That's where he's been for months, if you can imagine that. We think 24 hours. Wow, that's a long time. How about months? That's a long time. Now, I'm sure that, that Paul himself would love to have been the one to actually go to the city of Thessalonica and see them again, but he can't. The Jews know who he is, and they will drive him right back out. He's told us that Satan has been throwing obstacles in his path, right? That's what he said back in verse 18 of chapter 2. He said, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. And so what we saw at the end of chapter 2 is that Paul found some, some temporary comfort in remembering the day when he could present these followers of Jesus from Thessalonica as evidence of... Uh, the impact that he had made in his life for the gospel. But at the same time, he knew that they were suffering. So that comfort was kind of counterbalanced by the fact that he knows that they are probably suffering. He doesn't know what the, what's going on with them. He doesn't know what they're doing, how they're responding to it. He knew that they had been persecuted by the same people who had persecuted him and by the same people who had persecuted and killed our Lord Jesus. They were being beaten they were being arrested, thrown in jail. He doesn't know exactly how they're standing, though. And so his concern reached a boiling point that forces him to make a decision. Does he keep his closest companion, maybe his best friend, does he keep his best friend with him in the city of Athens 
Or does he surrender that comfort, the comfort of having this person with him, and send that person to Thessalonica, knowing that the Jews there don't know this other guy? And of course, we're talking about Timothy here. Timothy is the guy that was Paul's very close friend, very good companion, and Paul's telling us that he decided to send Timothy. He refers to Timothy as a fellow worker in the gospel. And I, I love that, that, he, uh, that he calls him this. Um, fellow worker doesn't really translate what he's, what he's trying to say. The Greek word uh, is synergos, which is the word that we get synergy from. Anybody know what, what synergy is? Synergy is when you have two or more things working together that when they're put together can produce a greater effect than the elements individually. For example, uh, codeine is great, great painkiller, right? And, and it'll knock you out. Uh, ibuprofen, great painkiller also. But you put those together and they create an effect that either one of them can't produce individually. So that's what he's saying about Timothy, that they have this synergy where the two of them working together can do more than either one of them individually can do. And so Paul writes, we thought it best to be left at Athens alone. He's talking about himself and Silas. But Paul is going to surrender his best friend, his closest companion. And this word left behind actually means abandoned. Abandoned. Paul's using some strong language here. Torn away, which, which as we talked about last week, is a derivative of comfortless. Abandoned. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a dark place. So are you picking up on, on where Paul is emotionally here? Are you seeing, getting kind of a, a picture of how desperate and alone he's feeling? And nevertheless, he says, I'm going to have to bear the city of Athens without him. So what was the purpose of Paul sending Timothy? Well, in, verses, in verse 2, he says to strengthen and encourage them. And then in verse 5, he says to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Now, I want you to see just how big of a sacrifice this was for Paul, because Paul, his love for Timothy was, was really, really evident. If you read the book of uh, 2 Timothy, it starts out uh, typical fashion. You know, he's giving a salutation. He says, uh, you know, I'm Paul, and that's, who, that's who's writing this letter. And then he says in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son, not a, not a literal son, he's talking about a son in the faith, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Now you think that he's writing a love letter to somebody. You get a sense for how deeply he loves Timothy. See, T Timothy wasn't just another uh, missionary that he was with. He wasn't just a fellow worker to Paul. He was a beloved son. He brought a joy to Paul's life like nobody else. Paul doesn't call anybody else his beloved son. If you read through Paul's letters, there's nobody else he calls beloved son. But despite his love for Timothy, and in spite of how much he valued Timothy's companionship, he sent him to serve in Thessalonica. So he sends his beloved son to serve a group of people. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar to anybody? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. 
So why did Paul send Timothy? It was because ultimately he, he loved the Thessalonians. He loved them. And so Paul was more interested in providing for their needs than in feeling the comfort of having Timothy there with him. So the first principle that we can get here is that when you love somebody, when you truly love somebody, you will be willing to surrender anything, even your own comfort, for the sake of making sure that they're walking with Jesus. When you love someone, you'll be willing to surrender whatever is necessary to make sure that they are walking with Jesus. See, we're all on this journey of growing in Christ-likeness, becoming more and more like Jesus. And the more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more committed you'll be to the faith and the spiritual growth of others. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more you'll see people the way that God sees them. And the more that you grow in Christ-likeness, the more you'll be concerned about their eternal destiny. And it'll break your heart if you don't know. As you learn to love people and, and put them before yourself, you'll realize sooner or later that there will be sacrifices that have to be made. You'll, you'll have to surrender some things sometimes or often. Things like comfort. Things like pride. Friendships, maybe. Because the more you become like Jesus, the more your love for others will be made will be a reflection of the love that you've been shown by Jesus. And you know, you know this, this stirs me up when I, when I think about this. Because I have to wonder, am I, you know, as I look at my own life, am I, am I doing that well enough? Before I look at how others are doing it, I'm, I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, wait a minute, you can't go further than yourself. Am I really, really doing this? Am I trying to see people through God's eyes? Am I loving them the way that God loves them? I mean, like my, my waitress at my favorite sushi restaurant, am I seeing her the way that God sees her? Am I? I'm trying to love my wife the way that God loves my wife. And I, am I doing it well enough? I want to say yes, but, but am I? Am I doing these things really well enough? Are, are any of us? You know, I, I don't know, because I think that if you don't know how somebody stands with the Lord... And I don't know how the waitress at my favorite sushi restaurant stands with the Lord. I don't know. And when you have that position where you don't know, I think it should cause turmoil inside. I think your heart breaks. And sometimes I think that, personally, I should be more grieved than I already am. I don't know about you, but personally, I want to have the kind of love for people that impacts them for the gospel, that drives me to want to impact their lives for the gospel. And I'm not pointing any fingers here because I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. But are we as a congregation, are we making the kind of impact that God has called us to make and equipped us to make on the people around us? See, if we love people, we'll, we'll be willing to pay the price. We'll be willing to surrender some things, comfort, pride, whatever it might be. We'll be willing to give those things up to make sure that people stand right with the Lord. And so the reason that Paul sent Timothy, he tells us, is for the sake of strengthening and encouraging the faith of the Christ followers in Thessalonica. So why did he feel like he needed to do that? He tells us in verses 3 and 4 where he writes, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, 
We kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Now, I don't want, I don't want us to miss the reason that he's willing to sacrifice here. It's because one of the things that Paul assured them about and assures us about is the coming of affliction, persecution, trials, the storms of life. They're coming. They're coming. Whether you realize it or not, be ready. Brace yourself because they're coming. But look at what he says about those afflictions. He says, we have been destined for this. It's something that Paul and the Thessalonians were aware of, and it's something that we should be aware of too. Now, you see these guys on TV who will tell you, I have God's favor and, you know, there's nothing that can go wrong in my life. I just have God's blessing everywhere I go. I get good parking spots because I have God's favor. I'm I'm being serious. I've heard them say that. And I think, you just don't know. See, if we fail to realize that we'll face affliction too, then, then the result is that affliction will cause us to stumble. It'll cause us to stumble in our walk with the Lord because maybe we'll be too busy blaming God or wondering why God would allow something like this to happen. But Paul's basically saying, hey guys, I, I sent Timothy for a good reason. I didn't want you guys to falter in your walk with Jesus because of what you're going through. Now this wasn't something that Paul warned them about maybe once or twice, kind of like an off-the-cuff remark. He says, when we were with you, we kept telling you. Now think about this for a second. We know that he was there somewhere between three weeks and three months, right? Um, if, if you had somewhere between three weeks and three months, let's, let's just say three months to give, give it the benefit of the doubt. If you had three months to plant a church, to start a new church, would that be something that you would be spending a lot of time consistently reminding people about? You're going to go through affliction because you're believing my message, because you're believing the gospel message. So why does Paul make this such a huge piece of his teaching? It's something that they were apparently very well aware was coming on. Well, there are, I think there are a couple reasons that Paul uh, taught about this. First of all, it's the model that, that God gave him. It's the, the model that God gave him. In, in the book of Acts, we see that Paul was persecuting Christians. He was on the other side of that end. He was the one causing their afflictions. And on the road to Damascus, he confronts Jesus. Jesus comes to him and, and, and blinds him for a period of three days and turns his life around, turns Paul's life around. And what, what happens is God sends this man called Ananias to go get Paul, a, a Christ follower named Ananias to go get Paul. And as, uh, as God's speaking to Ananias, he says of Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, God could have said, I'll show him how, how much I can bless him. I'll show him all the pitfalls that I can save him from. I'll show him that his life will be happier than it's ever been before. No. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. 
If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. 